and welcome to the Orion Open Science Podcast. I'm Emma Harris. I'm Zoe Ingram. I'm Lisa Pinkson. And we're broadcasting to you from Berlin, Germany. So we've just been through the Berlin Science Week. We survived. Just. Yeah. And we had a lot of cool events. Uh, we have Christian Pop and Valentin Popesco with us, uh, who also co-organized um, uh, Berlin Science Week for the MDC. And we thought we're just going to talk a bit about uh, how it was and how it went and what we did, because we think that science communication and this form of it uh, is really important also for the open science. Yeah. So one of the questions that came up during Berlin Science Week was, is science communication a part of open science? Or is it something separate? So maybe we should start with that. Do we think Berlin Science Week is something that helps the cause of open science? <laughs> it's a very difficult, I find it a very difficult question because I think you guys are the experts on open science and <laughs> I'm not an expert on open science. I would yes. have just really naively thought, yes, it is really important. Maybe not really that, that, that I can't really say why or argue for it, but I would have said yes. I mean, that's how we answered the question during the workshop, actually. Yes, of course, because if you want to have like eye level involvement with scientists on any scientific endeavor, whatever that is, I mean, you have to kind of communicate what you're doing, right? This is like the very first step. And yeah, science communication, of course, it's kind of translating. You know, when we talk about lay summaries or when we talk about um, citizen science, it's still there's a translation process there and I think science communication is the translation process so of course it's part of the open science movement. I mean I see it in the way that you have dissemination and that's you know communication between peers about scientific findings and then you have science communication and that's for me with the late audience but it also belongs to having science be accessible. It's obvious that it has to be communicated. Yeah, I mean, like you guys, um, um, Christian, Valentin, you had this like really, you organized this really cool events, the I Know Something You Don't Know, which is kind of like a science slam, and then the Mind the Lab in the in the train station. Uh, would you like to share a bit, like, what did you think about it, and uh, how it went, and lessons learned, and... I would start with the Mind the Lab, because it was the last event that we organized. Um, it was interesting, because... Um, the scientists who got involved in this event, they were kind of afraid of what do we tell people. And I just told them, imagine that you go out with your friends for a beer and they ask you what you do uh, at the office, in the lab. In, and you have to explain that somehow. That's what you have to do at Mind the Lab. And that's what we did. We designed simple experiments to show the science behind single cell sequencing or organoids. And uh, this really worked. Uh, we had some fruit smoothies on the stand in Alexanderplatz, and people were curious, why do you have, why do you have fruits here when you do science in the labs? And uh, this really opened up the conversation. Uh, just to maybe clarify, the Mind the Lab was an event in the train station, in the underground station, and a very uh, commuted, well-commuted place in Berlin. 
um, where people were just passing by on the way from work or to work or whatever we're going and could just inform themselves or like talk about science with yeah scientists. that's really exactly the concept of mind mind the lab bringing science to the passers by in the metro station mm. And science, but like busking, but with science. You yeah, know, when you science go, busking, yeah. Science busking, yeah. Which is basically what um, Inga's going to do, right? She's just going to go and do her own Mind the Lab. Yeah, so actually, uh, well, no, it was part of the Mind the Lab was also soapbox science. So right. female scientists presenting their research on a soapbox without any PowerPoint, just with props. And Inga Patacic, one of our scientists from the NDC, uh, she took part of it and she liked it so much she just told me yesterday she's gonna go and just randomly talk in the like stand in the train station and just talk to people now on regular basis because she really liked it wow. <laughs> it's cool i mean it's brave goodness super brave i wonder yeah. if she's gonna put a hat there and have passerbys be able to put a few euros in if they like it or not <laughs> we should pitch that idea to supplement a phd salary yeah yeah i wish i'd thought of it when i was doing my phd um yeah. So how I, I would actually be interested, how did the people who were passing by, like, did a lot of them stop and were interested and, and take more than two minutes to look at it, or how did that work? There, were, are, there are a lot of passers-by in Alexanderplatz, and I think a few hundred stopped at our stand. And what I noticed is that those who stopped didn't only spend two or three minutes. They spent like 10, 15 minutes. They really tried to understand what we are doing at the MDC. And they were really, really interested in the science that we do there. Which goes to show the answer to the question we often get in workshops. Well, are the public even going to be interested in what I do? Well, clearly they are. Even if they're late to catch a train, they <laughs> will stop and talk to scientists. So that's super cool. And you did another event as part of the Lifetime Project. And do you want to maybe say a little bit about that? Christian? Yeah, so maybe quickly, just like this is the first time Lifetime was mentioned as well. It's a really cool, um, a big European initiative. We have a website as well. Just Google Lifetime in Flagship and you will find it. Um, and for that, we also obviously have to reach out to the general public, which my, my, which I find rather, rather difficult. Um, me, myself, being a scientist by training and now working in science administration only, I think for that it was a very, very interesting experience to me to have an, a, an event organized that was in a very, very uh, informal setting, in a bar kind of thing, having people come along, having a beer, really having a nice evening. And in this kind of atmosphere, organizing an event where we ask scientists to really briefly communicate the work they are doing. That was a very, very interesting experience that worked, in my opinion, quite well. I don't know what, what I mean, most of you were there. What were your impressions? The feedback we got were positive. The people seemed to have enjoyed themselves. Well, maybe just say how it works first. So it's, it's tell me something I don't know. Yeah, so uh, I know something. It keeps, yeah. I was part of the, 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 the beta testing version of this show, <laughs> and they've changed the title for the 2.0 version, so maybe you should, yeah. So the I know something you don't know, it's kind of like a science slam, so basically scientists telling about the research, but they don't have to be funny. Uh, they just have to tell something that's relevant and novel. So basically uh, speculating on that the audience has not heard it before, but it's what they're telling them is relevant. And then the audience gets to vote on novelty and relevance. 
and surely it can be still tweaked to like voting procedures and how and so on. But in, in general, the format really works because unlike a science slam, it's not based on um, making jokes about uh, you know, sex and poop and stuff that people usually do in science slams or uh, yeah, to catch the audience attention, but rather really just tell science like, and it's still super interesting and sometimes comical enough just the science being the science, basically. So, uh, I mean, my opinion is a really nice format. I don't know. Uh, so you've been to both versions of it, the, from Long Night Sciences and this one? Oh, I think on the Long Night of Sciences, to be honest, I was so tired by the end of the day, I don't really remember what went on there. I remember liking it, but I couldn't say why. <laughs> but I liked, first of all, that it was a very informal setting. And I thought also the scientists, the way that they... It, this had less of a show-like character, even though it was from the setting, maybe more of a show-like place. But I thought that the science was really in focus. And there were a few times that I got very excited about it and realized that I had more questions and that I needed to understand certain things. And uh, yeah, it kind of got that little drive in me again. I'm like, I love working at this institute. So many cool things are being done here. And science is amazing. And I don't understand it, but I want to know more. So for me, that you know was very successful. I think what was interesting at the event, uh, at the last event, was also you see all, all these many of the people who did took part in the science them, I think had never done something like this before, and you saw, noticed that they really tried hard to tone down their scientific presentations for a lay audience. In some cases, this worked really well. In some co cases, it didn't work that well. Where you thought, oh, maybe you need to tweak it a little bit, get a a bit more. Uh, you know, a bit more um, general, but it was also interesting to to see them um, and try trying things out and 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 get the different responses from the audience. And you know, there were a few presenters where I thought they really did break it down. That they were really presenting it to people that didn't have a huge scientific background to be able to understand it. And I felt like they actually were better scientists after. I don't know if it's true, but like the way they came on the stage, their eyes were open. They were, you know, presenting. I have these very scientific graphs, and I'm telling you the basics so mm -hmm. you can understand it. It seemed like I don't know for me, maybe it's just a crazy idea. But I thought no, I don't think it's a crazy idea. I mean, it's like a fundamental idea, right? That you don't understand something really well until you have to explain it to someone else simply. Um, and that you don't understand it unless you can explain it simply. So no, I think it almost certainly did make them better uh, at their research. And also it gets back to the core of why they're doing it. So you can, I think you can get lost in, you know, p-values and, and test tubes and stuff. And then you don't remember why you actually were interested in this idea, the fundamental questions you were looking at to begin with. It's a bit of a reality check, right, to put the thing in the bigger picture. Sure. Where are we, where are we? Yeah. Yeah, so there's actually this voting relevance uh, in this particular show format. It's actually quite cool also for the scientists because they really have to tweak out. They have to really convey this this main message. This is why we're doing this. That's why it's relevant to you. That's why you should care. And okay, with single single cell sequencing and organoids, it's kind of it's kind of easy because it's just so cool. <laughs> like organ. I mean, we had on Friday actually also as a part of Berlin Science Week, we had a teacher training on organoids. So a group of select teachers were um, able to actually even do experiments with organoids, spend the whole day here in, um, in MDC labs. And I mean, they were really uh, amazed. I mean, I was amazed. I was, for me, it was also like amazing opportunity just to really look a bit deeper into the world of 
organize what's going on now and it's amazing what's happening. I think what was really cool with the with the Science Week, the way we did it, uh, because we had so many different formats. Yeah. And um, that was basically an opportunity for everybody to to do their own, I mean, for scientists to be involved in science communication in many different ways. So if you don't like to be on stage, you could do something else. If you're more like a teacher type, you could do the teacher training. If you're more like a, a writing person, you could do the uh, blogging, writing, uh, tweeting, tweeting, whatever. I mean, we had all these different opportunities, and I think it's really important to give this opportunity to the scientists. Yeah. Because also what we learned from the Open Science Workshop not communicating is not an option. If you don't communicate, someone else will, and you might not like the results. So. I mean, once you do, I mean, I feel sorry for people doing health research because the sh nonsense, the nonsense that they must have to put up with in the media. I mean, I don't know if you guys find this, um, where you, you, you kind of, you're looking on Facebook or Twitter or something, and you just see headlines about stuff you know is just ridiculous, like, um, I don't know, you know, coffee causes cancer and this kind of thing. I mean, I don't know, it must be frustrating for scientists. It's frustrating for me, but I mean, it must be really frustrating if that's your area of work and you feel like, how many people are going to believe this nonsense? Um, uh, just, just because this is something that just popped into my mind, but it goes into this direction. I think this is something in the English language that is some, a little bit confusing and misleading often is the word research because people often say, oh, I've done some research on this. And what they mean is they looked, looked it up and Googled it, right? And to some people, it often sounds they have done research on it, you know, when you mean you actually did experiments and stuff. It's the same word that's often used in sub this kind of context and gives people wrong ideas and you mm. sometimes really have to you know spell it out what you did and, and give the right context yeah it's confused me many times yeah no I, th I think there's also a, a general cultural idea maybe that scientists are kind of playing around with stuff in in labs sort of like tinkering with you know whatever as opposed to doing methodical scientific processes I, I don't think people understand the scientific system maybe other, how difficult it is to actually prove anything. There was another event at the Berlin Science Fair. So MDC scientists took part in Real Fake in the school. Uh, it was the very first time it happened in the high school. And there, um, apparently the students were like super critical. They, um, they did not believe easily. The, they were not fooled easily by the Real Fake uh, facts. For me, so the format is basically scientists present on stage um, real or fake, um, like science or pseudoscience from their area of research. And then the audience has to decide, is it real or is it fake after some discussion? So apparently the students were like really in engaged and really involved and they loved it because there was something, I mean, most of the topics were something they could relate to one on the other way. And they also had the opportunity to really like flex this critical thinking muscle. So do you think a session like this will also teach them to be more critical in a real life situation because obviously this is a very set up situation they know they have to be critical now and distinguish between real and fake but the problem is then in real life situation you read an article and you just take it in you don't really do you think it'll make people more critical well that's the idea behind it um so that's why basically there's always this moment of like first telling something then the kind of discussion voting and then the reveal and the reveal is not just, oh yeah, it's fake, or no, it's real, but like why it is, and how you can actually realize if something is 
real or fake when you even we just read a headline somewhere. Mm. So that, that's the idea behind where it actually works. I mean, um, so it, re it really is flexing a muscle and building this yeah, kind of knowledge. Yeah, okay, yeah. sounds very good. And but I think I wonder. I mean, how old were the kids that were doing this? They were like sixteen, seventeen, so they, eighteen. You know, this is this is uh, the you know the Greta Thunberg. Generation. I'm sorry, I'm butchering the Swedish name. Um, but <laughs> that's how Greta Thunberg. Um, yeah, but that's the same generation as Greta Thunberg. Um, and, you know, they are surrounded by the so called experts, the government and so forth, telling them that, you know, oh no, climate change isn't happening or we're not going to do anything about it when they know that the science is saying otherwise. So, you know, these are the kids that are walking on the, the Fridays for Future march and stuff. So I think they are, that generation, very critical of what they read and very um, eager to spot when they're being lied to because they are being lied to. Um, so I think maybe it's a generational thing. I, I don't think we had that when I was coming up in school. It was, it, you still kind of basically accepted that what, authority told you was real but i don't think that's the case anymore um so maybe maybe it's a culture shift which would be great it would be great if we could shift back to believing scientists um uh, you know obviously with some critical thinking as well let's not have blind faith but yeah oh yeah you have to be very critical of science yeah. <laughs> yeah. especially when you hear all these stories about you know what the kind of studies not being reproducible mm. and stuff which is a really really high number at the and teachers training uh, for the berlin science week they were talking about uh, i think in korea a scientist that was painting the rat's tail white and black because they were trying to do some experiment and change the genes that the tail turned black and white, and then they just did it with a Sharpie. <laughs> it was like story after story of the other people that just didn't basically do any experiments, but then took pictures of, of other experiments and put them together and said, oh, look, we've... Yeah. So I think exactly like there's the thing of believing science, and you have to do that to a certain extent, but then there's also exactly the skill of being able to look at it and add the facts up together and then be like, does that make sense? Or do I need to check out that area and really see? Yeah. I mean, I think it's when it becomes a, a, a critical mass of consensus between scientists, like, for instance, climate change. You know, it was recently, what, 11,000 scientists signed a letter saying, yes, there is man-made climate change. At that point, I think then you, you kind of, you, you, you go, well, they all agree they've all reproduced this it's when it's sort of smaller areas where maybe they're less researched but it's really also this big distinction between really basic science and applied science so when it comes mm. to nutrition and health it's really difficult to like you can't really do that many human experiments basically it's it's really i mean on a whole organism yeah <laughs> maybe soon with organoids the human on the chip that could be The next thing that would be pretty <laughs> As we cool. Learned. Yes. No, but um, but when it comes to the science that we usually do in in the labs, it's really hard to. I mean, of course, you can argue whether uh, phosphorylation at position so and so uh, does cause the protein to adhere to this other protein at another position, uh, and maybe there are two different opinions, you know. But in the end, it's like, yeah, if the whole pathway kind of comes together and people working on it, they see the same things kind of then mm. you can see it as okay that's true but i mean uh, but this doesn't have anything to do with the um, reproducibility as in psychology 
experiments mm. where then there's all those extrapolations to whole uh, behavior of humans as you know like uh, totally grand extrapolations from research done on some college students on some campus somewhere um, Yeah, I mean, like the very famous the prison experiment. I don't know if everyone's heard of that, but the one where they got some students to be prisoners and some students to be wardens, and they found that the moment they took on their roles, the wardens became violent and what have you. It's completely made up. It's absolutely... The, the whole thing was rigged from the very beginning. They were told by the organizers of the experiment to be violent. They were um, encouraged to be violent. There was, like, this whole thing. Anyway, basically, the whole experiment is completely null and void. And it's... But it's gone into... I learned it when I did psychology when I was uh, 16, 17. When I studied it, it was in our textbook. But, yeah, well, that brings us to open Would science, you? actually. So yes, the, it does. You know, the circle. Around the circle. Because, I mean, that's the, the question of reproducibility and questioning scientists and... I mean, if you don't make your research available, the data available, uh, how can you ever fact check someone? How can you reproduce anything if you don't have the, the basic um, access to, to the data and the, the knowledge? And that's the same for the citizens. If they don't cannot access the scientific information because either it's behind the paywall or it's just not translated so it's accessible, translating as an actually the actual language translation, like the different languages we have. We don't all speak English. And also the language of science to language of uh, so-called normal person. Um, it's also a big translation effort. This is something that I, I found very, very fascinating at this event that we organized um, uh, together for this Tell Me Something, or I Know Something You Don't Know. Um, we had this musician there mm. that you um, uh, that you um, suggested. Carla Heimann. Carla Heimann. And she is a scientist by training turned freelance artist, musician. Yeah. And she told me that she still goes to PubMed sometimes mm. to read um, scientific literature. And I found that fascinating that she still does that because I find scientific literature super, super, super difficult. I mean, it's re it's really hard work to read all these papers. And if you, I mean, if, you, it's, if it's in an area that you know about, then it's kind of okay but it's still difficult and that she does that and still does it for fun because she likes it and then uses probably all this information and translates it, translates it back for an audience like we had at this event I thought that was amazing but yeah what's also uh, interesting though that she has no access I mean she said she does not have access to all the literature it's very few articles that are actually openly accessible yeah. to her as not working at the scientific institution And she's someone who is at the forefront of this science communication thing. Everything that Berlin Science Week stands for, I think Carla embodies this translation of, you know, real science into something entertaining and fun and engaging. And she's being locked out of that by the lack of open access. So it's all, it's all interlinked. So going back to the question at the start, is science communication part of open science? Yes, very much. And we need more open science to have more science communication and we need more science communication to have more open science. I think that it was an interesting experience and uh, it was stressful but also fun too at the end. I mean, when you see the, all those people learning something, it's really, you think that you did something good.
So that's it for today. As always, the Orion Open Science Podcast is brought to you by the Orion Open Science Project, which is an EU-funded project. The music was produced and composed by Fabi de Miguel. The sound mixing is done by Paolo Oliveira. And you can follow us on Twitter at OOSP underscore OrionPod. Please like us, uh, tweet us, message us, whatever you feel like. And if you want to get in touch directly, you can email us at orion at mdc-berlin.de. Thank you for joining us, and we'll be back soon. Bye.